Welcome to the Live Well, Perform Better podcast. My name is David Duggan and I'm the director of Below the Line, an Irish-based consultancy specialising in helping people, teams and organisations raise their levels of consciousness, inner potential and performance. I am part of a team made up of experts from the worlds of business, elite sport, adventure and health and well-being. We are coaches, mentors and advisors to some of the world's biggest companies and organisations, as well as smaller businesses, entrepreneurs and people looking to make their mark in the world. Our guiding mantra at Below the Line is live well and perform better. What does that mean, you might ask? Good question. Maybe the easiest way to describe it from our perspective is finding the formula that works for you when it comes to things like looking after your physical and mental health, running your business, developing your career, leading your people, or simply being able to show up as brilliantly as possible into your own life, both for yourself and those around you. That's why each week I sit down with a member of our team or an invited guest for a conversation that focuses on the question, what do the words live well, perform better mean to you? This question is a way into exploring with people from a range of different backgrounds, industries and disciplines. What are the practices, techniques, habits or ideas that they use to help them to show up and be at their best in all areas of their lives? Whether that's as CEOs, leaders or managers, or as parents, family members or friends. We keep it short and sweet so that you can extract all the good stuff and get on with the rest of your day and hopefully put some of our knowledge, experience and expertise into play for yourself. This week I'm delighted to welcome another very special guest, Stephen O'Leary. Stephen is the founder and managing director of Olitico, a Dublin-based business that listens to the internet on behalf of some of the biggest brands and organisations in the world. This listening and analysis turns big data into actionable insights for organisations to make better decisions and design communications that deliver maximum impact. Stephen spoke to me about his career path and trajectory, the challenges he's experienced along the way, the impact of coaching on both himself and his business, and how he tries to set himself up for success so that he can in turn set others up for their own success. On top of all of this, Stephen also spoke to me about his role as president of the Dublin Chamber of Commerce for 2023, the issues he is hoping he can have a positive influence on in this role, as well as his thoughts on the online and social media landscape right now. You can subscribe at www.belowtheline.ie where you can stay up to date with our podcast as well as our exclusive online events and sessions, including our Press Pause coaching community. Thanks for listening and now on with the show. Thanks very much for doing this. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I know how busy you are. Um, and you're someone who uh, has been on my radar, if you like, for the last couple of years, primarily as a result of the Dublin Chamber of Commerce, which we can talk about in a little while. But um, maybe the best place for me to to start with you is is simply to ask the, the traditional question I always ask in this podcast is please just tell me why do you do what you do? Because I love to listen, which is a kind of ironic in a situation where I'm the one who's going to do a lot of the talking uh, for the next for the next little while. But I do. I love I love listening to what people talk about. Um, And I think a large part of that has to do with. The country that I've grown up in, I think Irish people are amazing talkers, amazing storytellers. And we as a people love to talk. We love to share our own stories. 
but if you can pause for a while and listen instead the things you can learn the the things you can discover um the information that exists uh is incredible and i suppose at the core of what olitico does is listening our, our job essentially is to stop not really to talk but instead to, to listen to what the world is talking about mm. and i think that's um that's almost my shorthand um way of describing your business which is um and you can tell me if i'm right or wrong but it's listening on behalf of your clients to what is being said about them in the digital space is that it broadly or that's exactly it so by definition it's social media analytics social media monitoring social media listening the the terms change uh, from time to time but really our job is to listen to what's being said about our clients publicly but it's not just about them quite often it's about the products and services they sell it's about the competitors that operate in their space it might be about regulatory frameworks that impact what they do it might be about what the government in their country are talking about. There's a whole range of different things that our clients are interested in. And we work with marketing departments, communications, corporate communications, public policy, like you name it, essentially, they all have an interest in what is being said about certain topics. And our job is to go and find that information to make sense of it and then deliver back insights that they can ultimately take action on. Brilliant, brilliant. So how does one go from loving storytelling and listening to stories to listening on the internet on behalf of clients here in Ireland and all over the world? So I guess the journey, like, the journey is certainly not linear and I come back to this a lot, right? I, I, I certainly wasn't born a social media analyst and it wasn't what I wrote down in like my secondary school journal as the job I wanted to have. It probably didn't even exist, I would imagine, when I was in secondary school. But I did really have an interest, I guess, in English, and that then became an interest in journalism. And that's ultimately what I went to study. I, I, I did a, a degree in journalism at Griffith College, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, and I loved the media aspect of it. I loved the content creation. But I really enjoyed interviewing. I loved actually sitting down, asking questions, and then hearing what was, was coming back. So... I ultimately took a job with the Irish Examiner when I graduated and spent a year in traditional media in a, in a newspaper in Cork. But a job came up while I was there with a media monitoring company, uh, a global um, company that had opened an office in Dublin. And I went and worked in that industry for, for a few years. And it was a really interesting experience. It was primarily actually a sales-based role I probably didn't know that going into it, but it was one of the best experiences um, I've ever had in terms of uh, learning and development and growth. And I suppose during that time period, I discovered what it was I enjoyed about that industry and about the, the products uh, and services that we sold. But an opportunity came up with a sports management agency uh, during my time there. Uh, they were a client. We had sold them software in order to track what the public uh, and at the time journalists were saying about the professional golfers that they represented. And uh, at one point they said, you know, would you like to come and, um, and do this essentially on our behalf, you know, kind of in-house. Um, and I had watched Jerry Maguire and I had grown up not far from the old Hedekin Sale and caddied 
for my summers. I had done J1s uh, at golf courses in the US. Golf was a huge part of my life outside of, of, of um, study and work. So it was an opportunity that was really, you know, too good to, to pass up. So I went and I did it for a year. And again, it was, um, it was a really interesting experience. It came at an interesting time more globally. So it was 08, 09 when we had, you know, obviously kind of fairly significant turmoil uh, in the economic markets, not just globally, but also in Ireland, uh, which made the job difficult. You know, it was it was kind of hard to pitch um, professional golfers and, and maybe the sponsorship opportunities they brought with them at a time when an awful lot of those traditional sponsors were saying, you know, we've really got to watch our budgets and, you know, we've got to kind of batten down the hatches a, a little bit. So, again, a really interesting year a really enjoyable experience. But what occurred during the time period was a number of former clients from my time with the media monitoring company came to me and said, you know, you sold us software and when you demonstrated it, it looked really, really good. Uh, and we used it a little bit at the start, but then we used it a little bit less. And now it's coming up to renewal time and we're not sure we're going to renew. So you know, my default answer generally was, well, I, I don't work for the company anymore. So that's something you're going to have to talk to them about. But what began to emerge was the real need that these clients had, which was not actually the software that uh, they could use, but it was the results, uh, essentially a service. They wanted the insights. They wanted the reporting. They wanted what this software was capable of doing, but not the actual software to use themselves. And I heard it once and then I heard it twice and then a few more times. And it got to the point where I realized, okay, there is a need here that isn't being met. And I think I could be the one to, to meet it. And that ultimately was what led to Olitico, O'Leary Analytics at the time and, and what subsequently became Olitico coming into being in 2009. Wow, wow, what a story. Um, and, you know, it's remarkable to think, yeah, you know, 2009, and here we are all these years later, you're growing a team, you're growing a business. What have you learned in that time? Plenty, I'm sure. Oh, I, I, I have learned more in the last 14 years than at any other point in academia, our professional life, you know, founding a business, growing a business, managing a team. They have taught me a huge amount about myself. Uh, about my limitations, about the things that I have needed to work hardest on, um, the areas of growth that I needed to focus on in particular, um, uh, and kind of both personal and professional development. But yeah, they, they're probably the biggest learnings, the, the, the learnings. And I think actually, if I was to sum it up, it would probably be people. I have, I've, I feel people, both clients, but probably more so our team and how to manage a team is the thing that I have had to work hardest at and continue to work really hard at. Um, but it's certainly the area that I've, I've learned the most about in, in the last 14 years. In terms of listening, um, which you mentioned earlier, it, it can run the gamut, but um, linking back that back to, to story, um, it seems to me that um, you know, stories have real power um, and that 
a bad story can travel really quickly as as kind of good news stories but um do you see the influence and the role and the power of story um in terms of maybe brands and reputation um is that something that's really powerful and palpable to you in in, in terms of where you sit and the role you do it's exceptionally powerful um and yet i think in a way social networks and the opportunities they present tend to default to story, um, which has a huge amount of good in it, right? There are examples every single day of organizations all over the world in sport, entertainment, business, you name it, and across every network producing amazing content, telling incredible stories, uh, shining a light on issues and topics and affecting change. I am a firm believer in it. And yet, I think if the focus is predominantly on the ability to tell those stories and that being the primary role maybe that the social networks have, it misses out on what we feel is the biggest opportunity that these networks present. So everyone probably knows when they go to the party and they don't know a lot of people and they turn and start a conversation with someone. They know that moment when the person they're talking to is someone who's just going to talk at them. They're going to talk all about themselves. They're going to tell their story. This is who I am. This is where I'm from. This is what I do. This is what I like. And very quickly that can get very boring. Whereas when you go to the party and you turn to someone and their first engagement is, Hi, how are you? Where are you from? What do you do? What are you interested in? And it becomes a conversation. It becomes something where both people engage. We remember those experiences. Those are the people that we tend to gravitate towards because you want to have conversations. You don't really want to be talked to. And I think we see that play out on social networks frequently where brands tell amazing stories. They're really good at broadcasting because they maybe have decades of experience of that. They're comfortable with traditional networks like TV and newspapers and radio and so on. And so there's always been this, I want a platform to tell my story. Whereas social networks, the greatest opportunity they present is the ability to have a conversation. And, and often the starting point for those conversations comes from listening. You know, we have an example from, you know, the last couple of weeks where, uh, the Welsh FA, who have a new CEO, um, he decided to take to Twitter and say, hi, I'm really open to your suggestions as to what we can do as an organization to make football better in Wales. And he got dozens, if not hundreds of replies, but he engaged with the replies. And it wasn't a cheerleading exercise. Everyone didn't come on and say, hey, you're great. There were really tangible quality suggestions that came through now there was noise there always will be and there was abuse and there was negativity but within that there was a wealth of actual people who cared about sport cared about how it was being run had suggestions and ideas and as he sought those opinions uh, and ideas he engaged and acknowledged the responses that he got and for me you know we see this all the time but it was such a great tangible example of someone understanding the power of the network. He could have broadcast their 10 point plan 
here's what we're going to do. Here's what I'm going to do in my first 100 days, et cetera, et cetera. But instead, he took the opportunity to say, what are you, like, you're the fans. Here's a network. You can talk to me. Here's my email address. You know, tell me. And people did, you know. And as I say, rather than him then just collecting those as 100 or 200 or 300 comments and maybe, you know, putting them to one side, he actively engaged in the conversation. And that, that for, for me, is one of these really great tangible examples of someone who understands the power of the network and gains so much more value than a brand or organization or individual who uses it purely for the purpose of telling their own story. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Brilliant. And it seems to me that it's about, it's about finding the humanity in, in the, uh, in the social media, in the technology, which is exactly what you said. It's an interaction. It's not just, I'm not broadcasting when I start to interact, that's when the magic happens as opposed to um, ignoring it or, you know, yeah, as I said, you know, constantly shoving stuff down the funnel and hoping it lands. Yeah. And as I say, I mean, you see this, you know, like if you work in retail, you are going to have customers who come in who are irate, right? They are really angry for whatever reason. And some people will express that anger, you know, without a lot of constructive criticism, you literally just get an earful and, there's not a huge amount you can do in those situations beyond maybe listen to the individual and help if you can, but sometimes people just need to vent, right? But there will be other times when someone comes in and they present with a problem and are very specific and detailed in the problem that they have. And maybe a shortcoming in your product or service, a failure of some sort, an issue they have. And while fixing the problem is a great end goal and ultimately what the customer wants, that active listening piece where you stop and acknowledge the problem, um, listen to the issue or concern that the individual has, and then ultimately try to improve it or, or fix it. That whole process is really important. And we see this play out you know, on social networks all the time. So the, the misnomer quite often is that social networks are where people go to complain and give out and maybe that's about it. But actually in reality, particularly if you look at things where there are maybe high volumes of complaints, I'm thinking utility, telco, banking, any of the sectors where there are hundreds of thousands of customers and their services, then things go wrong. Very often the customer comes on, complains publicly. They engage with the customer service agent publicly. Sometimes that conversation goes offline. Very often you see the customer coming back publicly and saying, thank you so much, John or Mary or Elaine or whoever it may be for your help. I had this problem or my mom had this problem or my dad had this problem and you spent time and you fixed it. I really appreciate it. And that again, for me is where social networks become really powerful because if you choose not to listen to those complaints, they don't go away. There's, there's still problems, right? Even if you choose not to deal with them. But if you do choose to engage and deal with them and you can fix those problems and, and not always, but in lots of cases, fix them and the network becomes really powerful. You know, you've reduced churn, you improve customer satisfaction. There's a, like just a wealth of benefit that comes from um, engaging. So does that mean as well as listening on behalf of clients, you would also advise here's how to uh, communicate or interact or... 
it, it's a fine line. It's not, so our job primarily is to, to listen, to analyze and to report. So we need to find the data initially, then we need to categorize it into to buckets. Quite often our clients might get mentioned thousands or tens of thousands of times a month. So that all needs to be kind of like separated out and tagged um, so that you've got buckets of content. Then the analysis begins. So the analyst starts to consider and look for changes in that information, changes maybe week on week or month on month or quarter on quarter or versus a competitive set. There's a range of different ways you can do that. And then once that analysis is complete, then there's the consideration of what are the insights. So sometimes they are very actionable. So we have seen a 100% increase in complaints about this product in the last month. This appears to be an emerging issue. So we don't tell them how to fix the problem, but we equip them with the knowledge that this is a problem and it wasn't a month ago. So this is something that you need to be aware of. So our job isn't to engage on behalf of clients. We don't handle customer care. And our job isn't to tell clients how they should fix the problem. But our job is to highlight the things that are happening. And quite often that is not quite needle in a haystack, but it is signals in a very noisy environment. If you're being mentioned tens of thousands of times, unless you have the benefit of a team of analysts who are looking at that data, quite often it can be hard to make sense of that much information and to get a feel for what the real problems, issues, and opportunities. That also sometimes gets forgotten. Yes, our job is to look at things that go wrong and to help our clients identify the areas they should focus on. But equally, it's to identify the opportunities. You know, I mean, we see this regularly. We actually love your product. I wish you had it in green. Or we love your product. I wish you had it in a smaller size. Or is it possible to get your product in another country? Or could we get that product in another you know, there's lots of ways that's described. And again, anecdotally, these things are interesting, but when you quantify them, sometimes you can identify an actual market need that may exist. And you can work that maybe with your research and development teams or your new business teams or whoever it may be to see, we create an MVP here. How quickly could we meet response or our demand around this? You know, there, there are lots of, it's not just problems. There are lots of, of opportunities too. Brilliant, brilliant, amazing. Um, I, I'm going to ask you about our um, another traditional question now on, on the podcast, which is about our strap line, which is live well, perform better. What does that mean to you from your perspective as you would interpret it? So a term that gets used a lot at the moment is this idea of fixed or growth mindsets. Right. Are, are you are you someone with one or, or the other? And there's a lot of chat and a lot of conversation about this as a as a term. But I do fundamentally believe in that idea that if you are open to to criticism, to suggestion, to coaching, then you have the opportunity to improve in every facet of of your life. And I have this as a lived experience, right? So when I was a kid, basketball was the sport I played and I was lucky enough to have incredible coaches. I mean, I was not very tall and I was no standout player, never went further than representing my club. So there was players who went on to represent the county, country and so on. That was never me. 
but I had coaches who were volunteers who cared about my performance and, you know, showed me the value of hard work and showed me how you can improve and the value of being part of a team and collective effort and all these kind of things. So much so that when I was in my kind of mid to late teens, I went and did my coaching badges with Basketball Ireland um, because I had seen the impact a coach could have on, on me as an individual and on the teams I played on. And I wanted, I wanted that. I wanted to be able to do that. And I went on to, you know, throughout kind of like my late teens, I coached kind of underage teams in our local club. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I, I really could see, you know, just how enjoyable that was. And I've sought out those opportunities as, yeah. you know, my kind of, my, I suppose career has developed. So, you know, I've, I've lectured in university um, because I really enjoyed that teaching aspect and, and the, the coaching elements with it. And I have also then, you know, worked with a coach in a business setting. So for me, that idea of identifying that there are things you can improve on. And if you seek outside advice, you can, you, I mean, like there are almost no limitations, right. On, on how good you can get at something. Fantastic. And you also spoke to me before about your coaching experience, which was really, uh, it was funny because I think you said you had a coaching session and the next thing the person said, look, I'll see you in six months time, go do it. Um, and your reaction to me was kind of, what do you mean? Just go do it. But, uh, I just thought that was wonderful because they just made you go apply stuff and then come back and they're they were going they were holding you accountable because they said i'll see you in six months time tell me what's happened but that is that is that my um, is my recollection correct would that be your experience of um, coaching initially yeah it, it absolutely is so, so the coach i work i continue to work with and who i attribute a huge amount of my um my success to was referred to me by a friend uh who had had a really positive experience with them and uh so we had an initial conversation and we talked about, you know, the, the way I did things and the way I was running the business and the way I was managing people. And they said, you know, certainly you are someone who could benefit from coaching, uh, was their polite way of putting it. Um, and they said, okay, so what we're going to do is, you know, we're going to begin now, you know, and we've got, we've got an initial three sessions we're going to do. Right. So, it's kind of that age old, right? So let's set out kind of maybe some of these things we want to achieve. We're going to come back in three weeks time and check in on how you're doing. And then we'll come back three weeks later and we'll see where you're at. And so, you know, I found the first session really energizing, got my takeaways, worked hard on them. We came back three weeks later, identified the things I was continuing to struggle with, areas I needed a bit more support on, came back three weeks later and it was a continuation, right? So some things had gone well, some things hadn't. But I remember we got to the end of that session, that third session, and like you said, you know, the uh, my line was, I was like, great, when do I, you know, will I see you in three weeks? <laughs> the coach was like, no. Um, and I I was, I mean, I was heartbroken. You know, I genuinely was. I, and it was like, I mean, what do you mean? And the coach said, well, you, you don't need me to coach you now. That's not what you need now. Like you said, uh, Dave, the line was, it's about execution, right? A coach, and they described it like this, cannot be a crutch, right? They weren't there essentially to hold my hand and check my homework. 
their job was to make sure that I had what I needed and was focused on what I needed to do. But at that point, I actually didn't need, I felt I needed them, but I didn't. I, I, it was now time for me to go execute. And so after I got over the devastation of realizing I wasn't going to spend time with this person uh, in the short term, that's exactly what I did. Um, and what was interesting was the following six months were very successful and we grew and that brought with it new challenges that I hadn't had six months prior. So when I reached back out uh, to the coach, I said, okay, so, you know, I haven't done everything you told me to do, but I have done some of them and some things have got better, but also now I have these new challenges and they were like, okay, let's, let's talk. And so we did a couple of sessions and that's essentially how it has progressed since then. Right. You know, it has been this case of, you know, relatively short, intense bursts where you identify the priorities at the time, you set some goals, and we talk through kind of hurdles, challenges, knowledge gaps, etc. And then, as I say, it's my job to just go and, and, and execute. Um, but the coaching, I mean, I'd go so far as to say it's invaluable. And I don't think I I would be where I am, and certainly Olytical wouldn't be where it is, had it not been for the role that the the coach has played in my life. In terms of um, you um, and say, we often talk in in our business about this idea of of showing up. But are there any practices, habits, behaviors that you engage in? Um, you know, whether that's daily, weekly, monthly, just to help you. Um, just be at your best and 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 uh, live well and perform better. So the single biggest area for improvement I had when I met initially with my coach was the simple act of planning. Um, I I was always very busy, and you'll know at the start of this conversation that you know I I talked to you about the fact that there is a lot going on, and as a company grows more happens, right? It just for, for each new person you add and every new client you win, there is that little bit more to manage and, and consider. And at the time, as I say, I began working with my coach, my my planning was was poor at best and probably non-existent to, to a, a greater extent. And what they got me to focus on was planning and the very, very basics. So if I pair it right back, if I plan my day, plan my week, plan my month in advance, and as best as I can stick to that plan, that's when I produce my best work. And that's when I feel the company produces its best work. So it's when I get into the habit or I lose the routine and I just start doing what my inbox has in front of it, or I start dealing with the things that are top of my mind, that's when for me, my performance slips and dips. And I would be lying if I said, I always recognize that. I don't, there are times when that might go on for hours or maybe days, but I've certainly gotten better at recognizing that. And if I ever get that feeling now, when I become conscious of it, the ability to correct is definitely there. So I'm like, okay, I know what's going wrong here. I know what I need to do. I need to get back to basics. So my basic, you know, absolute is what does my day look like? What does my week look like? And, you know, on a daily basis, that's kind of almost to the hour. 
right? Just break, break it out um, so that the important things that aren't urgent get actioned. Brilliant. Brilliant. Speaking of busy and, and schedules and all that type of stuff, you're, uh, you're the, uh, you're the president of the Dublin chamber of commerce this year and congratulations on that. And it's a wonderful, uh, role to play. It's wonderful for your own, your personal brand for Elitico, et cetera, as well. Um, and it's an ambassadorial role on behalf of the, the, the business community in Dublin, but what are you most, um, looking forward to in terms of, um, of, of that role and um yeah how is that going to affect your ability to to plan well it, it puts a much greater onus on planning than that that's for sure right because i mean it's an incredible honor you know you get, you get elected by your council into this position and um i've been a member of the chamber for 14 years it was the first organization i joined when i set the company up and Back then, they were incredibly supportive of me as a young entrepreneur who had very little money and very little experience. And it essentially allowed me to find my feet in the business community in Dublin. There were events, breakfasts, networking events, dinners, um, lunchtime events. There was there was something on almost every day to do with something. And... At the time, I had very few clients and lots of time. So I made the most of just going, learning, meeting people, building the brand, I guess, really, right? Just telling people, this is who we are. This is what we do. You know, and nine times out of 10, there was no immediate business need. There was no business to win. But by having these conversations, by building the brand, people started to learn about who Olitico was um, the kind of things we did that a service like this existed because at the time it was really new um, new industry um, and I guess as I grew as Olitico grew so too did the opportunities within the chamber and it was 2016 when I joined council and there were re-elections to go through along the way um, but ultimately it's a classic example, and this is a cliche, but I'll say it anyway, that the more I have given to the chamber, the more the chamber ha has given to me. And, you know, they have given so much more than I have given in, in return, right? So all the time and effort I have put in has been not just matched, but I've got it back tenfold in terms of, you know, tangible new business, right? So meeting clients, you know, winning, winning new business directly through it, but so much more than that. As I say, you know, for a small business um, without maybe the advertising or marketing budgets of bigger brands, being a member of the chamber is a great way to build your profile. It's a great way to build your network. And it's also a great way to have, you know, the voice of small businesses, the voice of entrepreneurship uh, in Dublin um, elevated and and from a policy point of view, it helps to shape it, right? So the chamber are there advocating on our behalf. And I guess as president this year, it's that entrepreneurship piece that I'm probably most excited about because it gives me an opportunity to showcase what a great city Dublin is to be an entrepreneur in, but also to highlight some of the things that could be an awful lot better uh, and the challenges that exist and to hopefully raise awareness around that and, uh, and affect change. 
Yeah, yeah, wonderful. Um, in terms of that uh, issue or matter of challenges and um, you know businesses here in Dublin, are there anything, uh, or w- what would you see as being some of the key issues right now that are on that people are facing? So, everything really, you know, no matter the level and no matter whether it's business or not, everything comes back to housing, fund- fundamentally. Um, and, and infrastructure more broadly, but housing is probably the top of, of that list. So the need to dramatically improve housing supply and fix the housing system, not just in Dublin, but, but across the country, is rightly top of the agenda for the media, for business organizations, you know, for, and for businesses, because ultimately businesses employ people, right? And people need places to live and they need affordable places to live and they need places that are well-serviced then from an infrastructure point of view. So, you know, it's great to see the, the, the progress that is going to be made with Metro North and the Metrolink and things like that. But those type of projects uh, and that type of work, I guess, needs to be, highlighted and it needs to be championed um, and it needs to be supported and we need to showcase why that is important because as I say you know businesses without people business doesn't exist and the employees within an organization need they need really good transport they need affordable places to live um, and they want Dublin to be a city that they look forward to spending time in that is somewhere that they can, you know, build relationships and socialize and, you know, do so many other things that a, that a city allows you to do. So it's no one single thing, but essentially the better the city, the better environment it is to, to do business in, well, then the more talent you attract and the more talent that you attract you know, the greater your companies and, and businesses can become. So, yeah, fantastic. I've only uh, a couple more questions before we wrap up. Um, uh, I wanted to ask you something in relation to, to social media. Um, so um, we've come through uh, Twitter going through its recent kind of uh, trials and tribulations. Um, there's issues like the metaverse, uh, while at the same time, uh, uh, Facebook are, are letting people go and all that type of stuff. But what do you see as being some of the key trends in terms of social media that people should be thinking about or aware of as you, as you, um, in terms of where you, you're sitting right now? So you're right. There is a huge amount of flux at the moment. And we're seeing that right across technology. Um, and I guess at, at this point in time, one of the big talking points is these large technology firms and the, the number of jobs that they're, they're cutting across the world. So like that is, that's dominating the news cycle. I think if you're a business or an individual and you use social networks, I guess what we're observing is that some of the things that we may be worried about three months ago haven't really come to fruition. So the concerns about Twitter no longer existing hasn't, hasn't really happened. Um, uh, an actual challenger to Twitter emerging hasn't really occurred. So in some ways, not a lot has really changed in the last three to six months. However, if we look at the last maybe 12 to 18 months more broadly, certainly what we're seeing is an increased level of activity amongst companies and organizations and indeed individuals 
across, I suppose, outside the big three. So if we take Twitter, Facebook, Instagram as our big three, right? TikTok and LinkedIn are, you know, of increasing importance uh, to our clients, um, both from a listening point of view, like what's being said there, but also from a benchmarking point of view, how is our content performing versus our competitors? And also just understanding the role that those networks play in that broader communications or marketing strategy. So, you know, we know that a huge number of organizations use LinkedIn to attract talent, but that talent is also looking at the company's profile on LinkedIn and how they're perceived on LinkedIn to give them a feel for what they would be like. And despite the challenges that the tech sector has had, we still know we're at near full employment. There is a real battle for talent. And if you want to attract the top talent, then you have to showcase yourself in the best possible way. LinkedIn allows you to do that. So, you know, as a network, we feel it's, as I say, kind of increasing in importance. And then TikTok, you know, there's a huge amount of conversation about it at the moment, obviously where it's located geographically uh, and the role of um, national governments um, in its running, um, you know, is very, very topical. We know that there's an awful lot of conversation in the US right now at a political level about it as a company and as an organization um, and maybe concerns around that. But despite those concerns, um, from a user point of view, you know, it is an incredibly popular network. Um, it allows people to create content in a way that they don't really create uh, on any other network in any comparable way. And despite the fact that, you know, networks like Instagram and YouTube and others have tried to maybe come up with ways to, to replicate that experience, the reality is that the way TikTok serves you content, the way the algorithm understands the things you're interested in is really unparalleled at the moment. So for us, our clients are, are extremely interested in understanding that and the opportunities it presents for them as, as organizations and also how they can understand how people talk on these, on these platforms, you know, so that they can, you know, get feedback and, and understand it a little bit more. Brilliant. Um, and then lastly, um, would you have one piece of advice um, that you would give to anyone looking to live well and perform better or be better in business or as a leader, whatever? Um, comes to mind for you invest in your people it's i mean I, 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 above all else invest invest in your people you know there's that um there's that joke of the cfo and the ceo having a conversation and the cfo says you know what happens if we invest in our people and they leave and the ceo says well what if we don't and they don't um and certainly in my experience the single most impactful thing uh, for me in terms of how we perform as an organization and, and, and hit peak performance is by investing in people. And that's time, that's further education, that is resources, it's training, it's support. Um, but ultimately it comes back to what we started this conversation about, it's about listening. So the time I spend individually with people on the team, particularly maybe in a situation where ever increasing people are working remotely and you don't maybe have the, the benefit of, of observing them in an office environment where you can pick up on things, it makes investing in time in people all the more important. You know, conversations, um, an openness, um, and a willingness to, to listen and to understand, you know, hands down invest in your people and 
you know, you set yourself up, I feel, when you do that for, for peak performance. Stephen, thanks very, very much for giving me your time. That has been a fascinating conversation. I wish you continued success with Olitico. I wish you a great year with the Dublin Chamber. And thanks very, very much for sharing your story and your expertise and your insights. Um, I really, really appreciate it. Thanks, David. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this week's conversation. We hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard and you want to stay in touch with us, then please head over to www.belowtheline.ie to subscribe to our mailing list and to explore our upcoming programs and events. Until then, take care and see you next time.